Okay, hi everybody, this is Richard Hatch, Tom Zarek in the new reimagined version of Battlestar Galactica, and Captain Apollo in the original, and you are listening to Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Live long and prosper. Bad feeling about this. This is going to get pretty interesting. Define interesting. Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die? Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Did I fall asleep? For a little while. You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. And now, from the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Tonight, we are here and we have an excellent show for you with tons of news. The second part of an interview that we've been dying to bring you for over a month now. And we are just excited to be here. I have my Diet Pepsi Wild Cherry in front of me. I am good to go, Miles. How in the heck are you? I'm doing fine. I am I am drinking a can of Coke at 9 o'clock at night. Probably not the best thing to be doing at this time, but oh well. You know, caffeine does not affect me, Miles. I can uh, I can drink, you know, two cups of coffee, caffeinated, and I'm good. I can go straight to bed and not even think twice about it. That's amazing. Yeah. I'll yeah. probably take something to help me uh, a melatonin or something to help me sleep later. Right, right, right. A good beer in the house will put me to sleep. But uh, anyways, my name is Scott Herzog. And I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And we are your hosts tonight for the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. We got a great menu tonight, Miles. Got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Hey, we're cooking up a lot of stuff here at this diner. What, what, what can you say? You know, a bunch mm-hmm. of foodies. On tonight's science fiction menu, we have part two of our interview with Richard Hatch from Battlestar Galactica. If you are watching the plan or love the plan, you got to check this out. We are going to talk about defining moments that drew us into sci-fi, but not only the what drew Miles and I into sci-fi, but also those of our listeners. We're going to talk about also how you can win a Star Trek XI DVD. Well, this is something you will not want to miss. We give you our first thoughts on V. Hulu is now not charging. You want to stay in space? Well, now you can for the right price. Fillion talks about the beautiful, horrible sequel, the hottest sci-fi shows this fall, Gandalf spills the beans on the Hobbit script. We're excited about that. Our thoughts on Whedon's shiny bid to buy Terminator's franchise. And also, we're going to talk about William Shatner's wax figurine and how he wants to be in Trek again. And also the best extras on the Star Trek Eleven DVD release. This is an ambitious menu that we're going to try and cook up and serve you tonight. We'll see if we get through it all. And if not, it'll be in the show notes where you can check them out on the sci-fi diner podcast.com. So lots of good stuff here. Oh yeah. Yeah. And love to keep us going all the way to the wee hours of the morning and we won't do that. Anyways, I thought I'd start off tonight with some listener feedback or it's not really listener feedback. It's a question that Kevin Batchelder from tuning into sci-fi TV called in and shared with us. Hey, Scott and Miles and all the listeners, this is Kevin Batchelder from the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV podcast, along with the Signal and the Scapecast. Just wanted to give you a little quick feedback. Uh, just started listening to your show a couple of episodes back, enjoying it so far. Appreciate you guys putting the time into it. So thanks very much for doing that. Uh, hey, I had a question for you, and you guys might have covered it in older episodes since I haven't gone back and listened to all your previous stuff, but uh, we do like a question of the week over at our podcast, and uh, I thought you guys might enjoy answering this one. Uh, yourselves too. What we asked this week of our uh, listeners was, what was your first uh, genre show or movie or or maybe some other meteor item book that really got you hooked into the sci-fi or uh, fantasy genre? You know, what's the one that uh, was the defining moment for you guys? So thanks for everything you do. Take care. So Miles, he's asking us what sort of things brought us into sci-fi? What was the moment that defined our interest in sci-fi that kind of drew us into sci-fi? Many of us, as he said, has a have a defining moment that draws us there. Miles, what was yours? This is going to come to no surprise to you and to many others. Um, It was Star Trek. 
I was born in the early 70s, and that's when it come back in reruns, and, and, and it, it had a resurgence of popularity. And my father was really into it at the time, so I watched it with him, and I got into it. And they really marketed Star Trek with the action figures and toys. Batman and Robin, even though by today's standards, it's a little hard to watch. You know, that sort of nourished my sci-fi uh appetite and then uh later on you know of course star wars kept it going for uh quite some time right right miles i think the thing that defined my my moment my defining moment there was actually two i think number one i think i got my love of sci-fi from my father he loves science fiction now for him a lot of the newer stuff doesn't appeal to him he's into the old sci-fi but i remember when i was about seven years old i guess sitting down in the den in, in our family den and watching on the little black and white TV that we had, probably a 13-inch. It wasn't very big at all. And all I remember was watching the mysterious island be Jules Verne and being kind of freaked out as a seven-year-old about seeing these huge bumblebees seal in these people in these wax, you know, honeycombs. And so that kind of freaked me out. But I knew that that's one of the earliest memories I have of sci-fi in my life. But I think the thing that really turned me on uh, was a high school, actually a junior high librarian. And I wish so much I could remember her name and give her credit, but I do not. And she was a librarian at Conestoga Valley High, uh, Middle School, I guess it was. I was looking for stuff to read, and she handed me this book, Galactic Derelict by Andre Norton. And it was the book that changed me. Because from <laughs> then on, I devoured the entire science fiction section, uh, Heinlein, Norse, uh, Clark, Asimov, uh, oh, the list goes on and on of science fiction authors that I hit. And that kept going through high school, and that's really what fostered my love of sci-fi. So it really happened more in the book world for me than it did in the movie world or TV world, probably, again, because I grew up with not with, without having much experience to television or wasn't exposed to a lot of television. So that's how that was my defining moment. We all have one. Yeah, we all have one. In fact, uh, Willie Mittens from Twitter asked a question. Uh, you know, when we asked a question about how did you get into sci-fi, he, he wondered how many of our answers would be Star Wars. And not that Star Wars wasn't influential, but none of our answers uh, actually had uh, Star Wars in them. So, I think it's just because of how old we are. I it mean, probably is. Maybe who we associate with. You know, mm -hmm. give us ten, you know, ten fewer years. Maybe it's different. William uh, Fenstermaker said, uh, "For watching, the thing that got him in was his dad was a Star Trek fan. No surprise there. And for reading, Lloyd author Eschbach, who went to his church, was a writer, and I guess that got him into, or actually went and got him into reading. So, and there's a link to this guy in the show notes. Hearn said the reason that he um, that that he got into sci-fi was that rea reality was too boring." <laughs> Uh, that's well, sci-fi, it can be an escape. Yeah, it can. Absolutely, absolutely. And last but not least, Richard Dweed, I think I'm saying that last name correct, said that his moment that defined him of being turned into or onto science fiction was the first time that he watched and then read 2001 Space Odyssey. And that was a defining moment for a lot of people when they watched that movie. Oh, yeah. And if you have not watched 2001 Space Odyssey, you do have to watch because the reality is it's a mod is made to that movie again and again and again in so many movies. Right. In some ways, it still holds up. I mean, when you watch it, I mean, it's just a, it's such a great story, you know. You know, it, it, it is a great story. It is a bit slow by today's standards. It's a little cerebral. I mean, so that's yeah, – uh, but you, you, like you said, you have to watch because a lot of sci-fi has made homages to it. You get to see where that comes from. Oh, yeah. You watch and you say, oh, in that movie I saw, oh, 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 oh. You know, it, it is, it's a very it's a very cool thing. If you want to send us uh, either an audio file or call in to our voicemail at one 508 4343 or email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com, hit us on Twitter, whatever. We're the Sci-Fi Diner on Twitter. Let us know what your defining moment was. We want to hear. We'd love to play them on the show and uh, share them with other people as to what brought you into sci-fi. It's a great question. It's something that you know, we probably could have asked us on our very first show, and we didn't, but, you know, whatever. It's still good. Let's move into our uh, trivia question for this week, and this is actually an extension off of last week's trivia. Okay, well, 
We ask you, the listeners, uh, submit an iTunes review and copy it to us along with your name and address. All entries get uh, a chance to win either a Blu-ray or DVD copy of uh, Battlestar Galactica, The Plan, or Star Trek XI. Need to be into us by Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, November 18th. Again, need your address if you want us to send you the prize. And this is actually an excellent prize. Again, we in last we we started this contest last week, and we're bringing it into we're extending it two more weeks just to give more people a chance at it. Come on, you get you get you get a free DVD, uh, Blu-ray or regular, and it's just awesome. And th- these are two things I wouldn't mind owning myself. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, write, write your review. Anyways, I'm not sure we're eligible for that. But again, as we said before, if you uh, do that, you can email us those reviews at sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. Or you could send them through Twitter, eh, but that's probably a bit. Uh, if you can send your review in under 140 characters, you're good to go. And you can do that at the Sci-Fi Diner on Twitter. Uh, let's move into our promo, our first promo of the evening. This is a promo by Technorama. These guys talk about all things geeky and uh, all, all sorts of geekiness in their podcast. So please go ahead and check them out. Here's a promo. Okay, fantastic. You're doing great. Now, now push and release. There you go. Okay, one more time. You've got to be kidding. Uh, no. Um, yeah, this, this, one more time. And push and oh, there you go. Mrs. Johnson, congratulations. You have a happy, healthy inner geek. Aw, man. Sponsored by Technorama, who reminds you to geek responsibly at chuckchat.com. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. We are going to be giving you your 10, 10, and 10. Although, like last week, we seem to be heavy in the TV news. So we're going to try and... Uh, Bring in some movie news and a little bit of DVD news at the end of the time before we get into our interview. I guess first on the agenda should be no surprise. There was a lot of buzz on Twitter, a lot of bl- a buzz going across the newswire about V premiering last night, Tuesday night on November 3rd, which you'll be able to watch through Hulu, I guess, starting, you said, Miles on Saturday, right? That is correct. Yeah. Let's talk, before we get into how it did... First impressions of the show, Miles, go. Liked it. However, I don't think I don't think they got accomplished what they wanted to in that one hour or less. I think what they probably should have did was either make it a ninety minute or maybe do a mini series like they did original. Um, it just seemed like one hour wasn't enough to get this thing started. Yeah, it did. Uh, you know, I heard a lot of complaints about it feeling rushed. They said. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I can kind of see that. I will tell you that, in my opinion, Flash Forward had a much stronger premiere as far as the way it was written and packaged than I thought V did. And the Fringe's premiere was, I thought, much better than that. Uh, not right. that it was a bad premiere. Again, it was it was a good premiere, but it just... It wasn't as well written as some of the other premieres I thought that came out. Now, this isn't to and say... Honest- this is not to say that we didn't like it. But go ahead. Oh, and honestly... I felt like what I saw last night, I already seen almost all the trailers. I mean, they, ABC has been really promoting this show, which, which is great. Um, well, and it paid and off it, for them, of course. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and the network needs to get behind the show so it succeed. But I think they showed so much in the trailers that there was very little surprises. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it was uh, it was good. Our actors, of course, did well. Uh, it was mm-hmm. great to see Alan Tudyk. Yeah, Al, it was great to see Alan Tudyk there, and just to see him in that role, both as his kind of guy helping investigate, and then turning, you know, evil or turning all all reptilian on him. I thought it was kind of cool. So I, that I, was very I cool. yeah, I like that, and uh, and of course the, the the head the head visitor. I thought she played that extremely well. Yeah, uh, I gotta give props to Marina Backrens, uh yeah. her acting um, last night. No, it was quite good. The way she smiled and the way she blinked was very reptilian. Even though they did, even though you didn't, you never saw the reptile side of her. Right. It was the, the quickness of the blink and the little kind of leer or sneer or little the way her lips upturned. I thought were very was very cool. Yeah, that's why I want to watch it again. I'm sure there's stuff I missed. Yeah. Um, 
Did you did you like the whole barb to hey Obama and universal health care? Well, it, it, this show is trying to address things that are contemporary and, and the problems that's going on. So that, that was sort of no surprise there. Uh, what I what I liked though was that there have been visitors on Earth for quite some time orchestrating events in the world, things to go wrong. So when the visitors do arrive, it's like, you know, the visitors appear like they, they come at the right time when Earth needs them the most, so right. to speak. Right. So, and that, uh, that, that, that yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And I thought that that was a, and I, I thought that was a good, 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 good ploy as well. And I also like the whole rebellion that's kind of seated underneath by the visitors themselves. And I thought that, that what I liked about that was this guy who kept trying. I don't remember the African American character's name, but you you know this guy keeps calling him. And you think, what is this guy doing? It seems a little kind of stalkerish, but um, the guy's motives are pure. And um, and the fact that, that African I don't think we're giving away any spoilers here. If we are, by by now you should have watched the show. That African American guy. You know, he's a visitor. Um, so that, that came out of left field, which I thought, which which I liked it. That, that, that I didn't see. Yeah, and you know, I didn't see I didn't see Alan Tudyk either coming as a visitor. Maybe no, you, maybe, maybe you knew him ahead of time, but I did not get that. I did not see the news ahead of time that he was a visitor. So when he turned visitor, I was like, really? <laughs> you know, it's kind of slapped upside the head. Right. So the show did succeed in that way. It's just like. There are some things we, we weren't expecting and um, when it happened. Yeah. Well, anyways, V, of course, did incredibly well being the top debuting show this season as far as new shows, as far as genre shows go. Massive ratings. It beat out, of course, the only other competitor, which was their own show, Flash Forward, uh, <laughs> by by about a million people. Well, I guess it was Flash Forward had 12 uh, million twelve point oh, I have the number here. Twelve point four million people that watched the first episode. V had thirteen point nine million that watched last night's episode, according to preliminary ratings. Which, by the way, we you have to know does not include time shifted ratings, which we expect will add to. Um, it is still subject to some change, but it looks like this will be the biggest show to debut at eight p.m. since another ABC sci- sci-fi series Lost. So ABC has their ducks in a row when it comes to putting out some sci-fi series this year, it seems like. Um, Fox ought to, you know, maybe take a page out of their book. I yeah. mean, when it comes to, you know, their shows. I mean, it, a, ABC has been very smart in, in marketing and um, pushing their show, uh, their shows. And, it, it's, and, and like you said, it's paid off for them. I mean, they're, they're getting ratings and, you know, over 10 million people are seeing them that week. So, yeah. you know. Uh, one of the things they do say in this other in this news story that broke that uh, they were planning, of course, to air the first four episodes over the next, I guess, three weeks, three coming weeks. But the fact that it did so well might make them consider not having such a long break, which would be that good. Would be, yeah. That would be smart. I mean, they, they need to, you know, hold on to this momentum. When this many people watch the show, they need well, they need to be sensitive to the viewers and you know, keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree. Not make them wait till next year to watch it. I don't want to wait. You know, I, I don't either. Yeah, yeah the, 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 this, this waiting for Dollhouse is bad enough. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's move on into some Hulu news. Well, fans of Hulu can breathe a sigh of relief, and that that would be me as well. After rumors sprang up this week that popular streaming website would start charging for content, a source close to the company has told Entertainment Weekly that isn't the case. A source cl- close to Hulu, however, tells uh, Entertainment Weekly that this site remains steadfastly committed to free content, explaining that any possible subscription or pay-per-view service has no time, no set timeline and would only build upon what Hulu offers, not replace the magazine reports. The possibility of Hulu charging began making the rounds earlier this week when an executive with the website said that a free model is a is a very difficult way to capture the value of Hulu's content, positing that the site could start charging as early, early as 2010. Yeah, so now we're getting a, a contradictory information here, uh, and, yeah. you know, which is true. I do like the fact that if they do charge, it will be additional content not replacing what they already offer. So our shows that we already get that we're still watching, that won't be charged for. So if they do start, if they bring in some new content and they want to start charging for that, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I don't know what 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 they would 
what they would show that you would need, you know, pay for. I don't, I don't know if like the, the TV shows on like the, uh, HBO showtime type networks. Well, that's true. That's true. They could do that or, you know, any of the wrestling or, you know, boxing matches or something like that they could charge for. The pay-per-view stuff, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible, and I could see that working maybe for them. Mm-hmm. So, so, anyways, we, of course, reported that Hulu was going to charge, and now we got this kind of reversal of news, so we're bringing that to you, and uh, let's hope that the second story is the better one, in my opinion. If you are looking to travel in space, you now can book your own hotel room in space starting 2012. It'll cost you $4.4 million a night, but hey... Who cares? You'll be in space, and with the world ending in 2012, that might be a good place to be. <laughs> Anyways, we have something to look forward to in 2012 other than the, the, the end of the world, thanks to a $3 billion funding project from an anonymous billionaire, space enthusiast. Any guesses as to who that might be? The Galactic Suite Space Resort has announced that it will begin offering a three-night stay at its hotel in 2012. CEO Xavier Claremont, a former aerospace engineer, says that the project will begin with a single pod in orbit 280 miles above the Earth with the capacity to hold four guests and two astronaut pilots. If you got the bucks, you'll be able to travel around the world every 80 minutes and see the sunrise 15 times a day. And even if you're not ready to make that reservation, check out the cool Galactic Suite site to learn about how to become one of what the company's calling Homo Spacian. Yeah, a little... Little charming pun there. My wife is groaning in the background. Nonetheless, it's it's certainly interesting to see the site. And uh, hey, this is maybe a step. Maybe this is a step the right way in the future. I don't know. Sure, why not? I mean, uh, there there's people that will be willing to to do that. I, I've kind of think that the space program ought to be privatized to begin with. So. Yeah, well, it, it makes sense, and uh, this is a step that direction, and. Uh, I think that I, I don't think that I'll ever be going to space. Not 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 without a price tag attached to it. But hey, more power to them. The rich can play, I guess. In other news, uh, Nathan Fillion updates on Doctor Horrible sequel. There are plans, Fillion told MTV News. The media for the sequel has not been decided, but there is a title. While Fillion couldn't spill on the proposed title for the Doctor Horrible sequel, he did say that Whedon and the rest of Doctor Horrible creative team, Joss's brother Zach Whedon. Jed Whedon and, and Jed's wife, uh, Marissa Tancorin. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Forgive me if I'm not. Already have a few of the songs written. Uh, Joss, I was talking to him right before we won the Emmy, said Philian. He said that he's finished writing a song or two. He told me a couple of verses to the song. It's going to be great, he said. I know a bunch of cast members of Dr. Horrible who would love to get back into it. Yeah, well, we would love to certainly see that. I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for a release date. Uh, yeah, they, they need to do it. What, what's your guess? What's your guess is when that when that movie when that movie slash webisode slash TV show slash however they release it's going to come out? Uh, I have no idea. Um, Two thousand twelve, maybe. Are they going to wait that long? They could do an apocalyptic theme. I mean, um, <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't thinking that, but uh, they they certainly could. Uh, Two thousand eleven may be more realistic because they don't want too much time to go between the two Doctor Horribles. No, I mean, uh, th- th- this last one won-, won an Emmy. I mean, good chance if they do it right, they could win another one. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, of course, as far as th- that goes, there's really only two returning heroes, right? It's uh, Captain Hammer and uh, and Dr. Horrible himself, right? Because, so, uh, because a girl was killed. Right. Well, this is sci-fi. They could always bring her back. They could. Maybe she could come back as a cyborg. Or a clone. Yeah, there you go. In other news, we have, of course, the last week we shared how ratings were doing on, I guess it was a Friday night with, we talked about the death slot with the Vixen last week. Well, this week, uh, news came out on how the TV shows in general are doing this year, all the genre shows, so it's not just Friday night shows. And so we thought we'd give you a quick rundown of those. This does not include V, which, of course, beat out all these shows and would be number one. Uh, premiering at number one as far as having the, the most viewers was Slash Forward from ABC. Last week's ratings were 8.98 million viewers. Fringe from Fox ratings just before the baseball season and they went in hiatus was 5.96 million viewers. Heroes, last week's ratings placed them at 5.86 million viewers, which is good for a show that people like to rag on and hate a lot. 
Eastwick, which is not a show that I watch. Last week's ratings was 5.6 million viewers. Miles, do you watch Eastwick? I do not. Did you ever see Eastwick? No. Yeah, me neither. Vampire Diaries, we mentioned that in the show earlier, but we I, I haven't watched it. Ratings two weeks ago was 4.19 million viewers. Supernatural show that's been around, I believe it's the sixth season now. Ratings two weeks ago, 2.88 million viewers. Smallville, of course, still hanging in there with 2.6 million viewers. Which, by the way, Smallville this season is good. Last last week's episode, I thought was their best so far for the season. Yeah, it's it's. It, I think that this season is probably a stronger season than I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. But we can talk about that, I guess, a little bit later. Stargate Universe is, of course, shows in the Sci-Fi Channel where ratings don't really matter because it's cable. Uh, two point four million viewers. Dollhouse ratings two weeks ago two point fifteen million viewers and Sanctuary. Uh, premiered with ni- the premiere ratings were nearly 1.9 million viewers. So I believe that rounds out our top list of sci-fi genre shows. There may have been one or other, two other genre shows. I think the Ghost Whispers in there, and there was one other one that I kind of cut because it didn't seem very genre to me. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, so that's the breakdown of how genre 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 shows are doing. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, when you said. Just briefly on Heroes, I mean, I mean that show is getting, like you said, you know, ragged on a lot. Uh, 5.86 million viewers is, is, is still good you know, for, for, for a show that people love to hate. I'm not sure where uh, how NBC feels about them or how that fits into NBC's paradigm of shows, but it's uh, it doesn't seem bad. I mean, they're, as far as genre shows go, it's what, fourth in the list now if you include V? That's still mm-hmm. good. And yeah. it's a top show, you know. It's beating out, it's beating out CBS. It's beating out CW. It's 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 still holding its own. I mean, enough people are still, you know, still watching it. I, yeah. I just it surprised me a little. Did, did you like last week? This past week's episode? I, I I did. I mean, I heard some maybe say it was just a filler episode. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I liked all the uh, the hero moments and the the um, just going back to season one. Uh, and exploring that again, I thought I, I just particularly enjoyed that one. I thought it was one of the stronger ones myself. Yeah, and uh, the whole Siler getting another side of Siler this season. Oh, it was yeah, great. Old 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 school Siler. I mean, uh, no, I thought I thought it was a pretty good episode. I, I liked it. It was it was fun, and um, I'm not sure it was the best episode of the season, but I really enjoyed it. It was a good episode. Uh, you know, whatever. I'm enjoying the show, and the haters can continue to hate it. I guess. Well, it answers a question about Mohinder. It, oh, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, boy, boy, does it ever. That's, I, I, that's a question I had for a longest time. What, where's Mohinder? So. Uh, now you know. He's, oh, a hero that, he's a hero that's been killed off. Well, is you wonder, is, um, is, is Samuel Trent wants to save Mohinder? I mean, was it a mistake? Did he make a mistake in killing him? Oh, that's true, because he could, he could, he could approach it from that angle that they're going back to, that he wants him to correct the wrong that he's committed, and that was one of the wrongs. That's that's what I took out of it. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think of that. Let's move on into our second course of sci-fi tonight, our sci-fi movies. News has come out that Gandalf has read the Hobbit script, and he tells us a little bit about it, of course, what he can. Ian McKellen, whom we expect, will put on Gandalf's gray robes in director uh, de Toro's upcoming Hobbit movies, tells us he's finally read the script for the films. And no, he won't tell us much about it, except that the producer, Peter Jackson, who co-wrote the script with longtime Lord of the Rings collaborators Fran Wash and Philippa Boyens, I think I'm pronouncing that right, as well, del, as well as Del Toro, wrote it specifically for him. As Peter has said, they loved writing Gandalf for The Hobbit because they knew who they were writing for, McKellen told us. There's a lot of characters in The Hobbit, including, crucially, Bilbo, and they don't know who's going to play Bilbo. So it's extremely attractive that this part has been written for me. The other Gandalf was written for, well, just as Gandalf, there's a lot for me to enjoy in all sorts of ways. I couldn't be happier, but I'm sworn to secrecy. I will not say anything about the script. It was kind of cool to kind of get a little bit more Hobbit news. And, of course, and the only other piece of news that we have is that John Rice Davies will not be coming back as a dwarf. In dwarf form, he said that he played. He was the guy that played Gimli in Lord of the Rings, and that news was sort of a side note. I wasn't expecting to see him back, anyways. No, I wasn't either. But I, I did enjoy his his performance in the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. I thought he was good. 
But hey, we know that The Hobbit's coming. I mean, we, we, we know we'll get that movie. Yeah, in 2000. So about a year from now, we are going to be really talking about that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's coming out 2011, 2012. So uh, something to look forward to. And, you know, any, any little bit of Hobbit news that we get is always good Hobbit news, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell us about Shatner. William Shatner unveils wax figure of Kirk, says he wants to be in the Star Trek sequel. We already know that William Shatner's Kirk is immortal, but now Kirk has been more immortalized in wax. Today, Madame Tussauds in Hollywood unveiled its wax figure of James T. Kirk, and William Shatner was there to help. And while he was mugging for the cameras, Bill also talked about the next Star Trek movie. Scott, have you ever been to Madame Tussauds in New York? I have. Yep, I have. And so have so- I. Uh, so he was not there when I was there, but uh, I, I have uh, I have been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought what was interesting in this article wasn't so much that he had a wax statue made of him. I mean, you know, whatever. Rathacon, great. Rathacon, again, this is maybe a throwback to how people said Rathacon is the defining movie in the Star Wars franchise. Uh, and so it makes sense that they, they do a wax figure from that movie, right? Right. And uh, I think what was probably bigger news to me in this article was that they had that he was actually said he might be interested in being the next Star Trek. Yeah, I I think maybe, you know, now that the film has done so well, maybe he just wants to ride that ride that wave. Yeah, but but, uh, they're going to have problems with that in regards to canon. I don't know how they, you know, you know what? I, I think at this point in time, they should probably just deal with with the current cast they have and not go back. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed Leonard Nimoy in the last one, but it's probably best not to use anybody else in, from from the former casts now. Yeah, that's the way I feel about. it. I think that it's going to be, I think that it's too much. So, right. You know, if we get him back, great. But I don't expect it to be back, and I don't think it would fit timeline wise because he's killed in what generations. So yeah, he's yeah he's killed in generations. Yeah. So like, it'd be kind of oh, how's he alive now? But hey, Star Trek—they can do anything, right? They can explain it somehow. Yeah. Well, we do have two other pieces of news. Josh Whedon uh, put a letter out bidding on Terminator for ten thousand dollars. It's kind of a fun, fun letter to read. We'll post that in the show notes, so you can check that out. The Sci-Fi Diner Podcast dot com site. Uh, the other piece of news was uh, we had some extras. The top six best extras on the new Star Trek DVD Blu-ray. And I thought we might talk about that, but uh, we're going to be talking Trek all next week. So I think we'll pass into this. We'll post in the show notes if you want to read it. And uh, next week we'll try and have that discussion. And maybe we'll have a more personal opinion of that if we get a chance to see it before it's actually released. Sounds good. Yeah. So it, anyway, it should be good. Before we go into our um, our interview, our second part of the interview with Richard Hatch, we got to give a shout out to the Geek Cred podcast. If you want to know what makes a good geek and all about all things geeky, this is a podcast you got to check out. So here's a promo for the Geek Cred podcast. Do you drool over cutting edge technology? Are you the first in line for the latest sci-fi movie? Do you stay up late at night playing video games? Do you consider being called a geek a badge of honor? Then Geek Cred is the show for you. Join me, Steve Rickyberg, as I bring you in-depth, behind-the-scenes interviews to give you the inside scoop on everything geek. From tech to sci-fi to games, you name it, we geek it. Geek Cred, are you geek enough? To download and subscribe, visit www.geekcred.net and get your geek on. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Right now, we are excited to bring you the second part of our interview with Richard Hatch. This, of course, was a great interview. It was great to listen to that first part again, wasn't it, Miles? I enjoyed it, yeah. And uh, it just goes to show, we were talking a little before the show, that we just don't get a word in edgewise when Richard Hatch is speaking. No, but, you know, he was uh, still, you know, like we said last week, he was very down-to-earth, This is a guy who loves life, and this guy is probably pushing 65, and he hasn't slowed down. I mean, I I wish I had half his energy. Very very impressive guy. Very impressive man. Well, we are really happy to bring you the second part of the interview. This is Richard Hatt from Battlestar Galactica, both of them, the classic and the new series, and uh, 
well worth to listen to. Enjoy. Starbuck? A volunteer? I don't think it was his sense of duty. <clears throat> Father's idea to reopen the dining lounge and the rising star to give our people an evening to look forward to was brilliant. Only the waiting list is nearly a yarn long. But the first pilot to fly the new recon Viper goes to the head of the list. Now, now, let's not deprecate Starbucks volunteering for what could be a long and dangerous mission. Oh, no, sir. What's Starbucks' status? He's due on the rising star at any moment. Well, let's hope we don't have to move him to Red before he's had something to eat. Well, Starbuck did ask me to dinner tonight, but, uh, well, I do have this duty. I guess he'll have to eat alone. Well, well perhaps, uh, this once we can make an exception, hmm? You go ahead and join him. Uh, I'll handle this with Colonel Ty. Well, and that's one of the things that, um, that I liked uh, about Battlestar is that they, they brought in these issues, and I think especially in the, in the newest incarnation of the Rondi Moore incarnation of Battlestar, they brought up these issues, they made you think about them, but they didn't always give you the answer for them. And I thought that was good. Well, great writing is never about, great teachers never give you the answers. They challenge you to think and come up with your own answers. Uh, great writing never gives you all the answers either. They give you insights, epiphanies, but they challenge you to to really come up with your own conclusions. And I think that's that's probably the most exciting way to to write and to perform. Um, you know, it's once you have the answer, then you stop you stop exploring, you stop stretching your mind, your imagination. And I think that uh, the whole uh, thrust of sci-fi, especially fantasy, is to stretch your imagination and to make you wonder about, you know, and come up with even deeper and more provocative questions. You know, you want to you want to open people's minds so they walk around for three hours after the movie and they're sitting there just really dancing with their, with their mind and trying to, to really come to terms with all the stimulation that has opened up a lot of uh, doors and, and viewing points into what's possible. Sci-fi stretches your imagination, opens your mind, opens your heart, opens you on multiple levels, and uh, that's what we love about it. So, uh, you know, you come to too many conclusions and, and uh, endings and, and answers, and you kind of lock up the box. Mm. Uh, the other direction is to open the box and make you go even further than the movie took you. You want to open that door so that you just go out there and begin to ask and explore and to go on the adventure, the adventure of life. Uh, I think sci-fi fantasy, it's unfortunate that so many people really have no clue what sci-fi fantasy is. They just, they either can't relate or they're terrified of even delving into it because they they live in a very protective kind of uh, uh, way. They, they, they're afraid to look beyond their 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 hand because they don't want to ask too many questions. They don't want to know what's out there. They just want to deal with here and now, and that's so that's fine too, you know. But uh, we are evolving as a humanity. We're going through a quantum shift, economically, business-wise, emotionally, psychologically, philosophically, on multiple levels. This is a time of extreme change, and so uh, I love. Uh, either reading, watching, you know, or writing and performing in projects that basically are helping people to uh, to make this transition through this uh, this doorway I, I feel that humanity is going through. Hmm. So it's a, it's a pretty powerful time that we live in right now. Hmm. Um, on the original Battlestar Galactica, what did you like uh, most about playing Captain Apollo? Well, for me, again, I think one of the components of Battlestar, both old and new, is the family, the sense of camaraderie. You know, we bond under fire. Mm -hmm. And when you're in battle, you bond. You bond in a way that nobody can understand unless you've been through that experience. And because of Battlestar, everybody on one level or another is going through that kind of bonding process with someone, whether it's a friend or a, a co-worker or family. You know, and, and that also brings up all your issues. You, it challenges all your, your stuff. And I think the original Battlestar, the, the family unit, the dealing with my father, Lauren Green, having that relationship, having the relationship with my son, and then having the, the partnership with my good buddies, you know, Boomer and uh, Starbuck and uh, all the other characters that were in there. It's, it's kind of the camaraderie, the bonding, the sharing, 
the uh, pulling together to survive and and to overcome uh, that whole experience for me is something I really resonate with. Any movie that has that kind of thing attached to it, you know, Braveheart had it. Uh, you know, the Arthur had it. Uh, there's a number of movies that kind of have that feeling, energy that uh, uh, me and a number of my friends really seem to to get into. Listen, what what do you think we do when we go to sci-fi conventions? A bunch of my buddies, we all bond together and uh, have some good ales, and smoke a few cigars, laugh, and uh, talk about uh, the world, the universe. I mean, there's nothing better than that. Now, was there a huge shift for you, uh, having played uh, Apollo, uh, into your when, when you came into your character of Tom Zarek in the, the new incarnation of Battlestar? How did that shift for you? I mean, is that same camaraderie there in the new Battlestar? Not really, because it, it's 30 years later, so... I only played Apollo for about a year, year and a half, uh, 30 years ago, and I've played thousands of other characters since then. So for me, coming in creating a character was really coming in creating a character like I do with every movie and every play and every project I've ever gotten. I come and I take the material and I engage my imagination with it. And just like I teach in my acting, acting is an art. It's not some silly little superficial make-believe, pretend thing, which some people like to make it out to be. Uh, it's a profound art, and it, it's a spiritual journey, and I I let that material and subtext and backstory of the material of the story, the mythology of it, speak to me, and it's an intuitive thing, and you tap in, and you let it take you where it wants to take you. I, I, I don't... Uh, I don't try to force it or push it. I let it let it come from a deeper place inside of me, and uh, it just takes me on this journey. So, uh, you know, I love the surprises. I never know exactly where I'm going, and and ultimately it just becomes this amazing experience that every actor and artist lives for. Um, but I don't compare it. I don't sit there comparing myself to the other Apollo. I mean, I I wish I had some of the material this the, Jamie Bamber had you know, 30 years ago, because they just didn't write deep enough, complex enough characters and rich enough. You know, they, they, they had good characters and some good movies, but they just didn't go deep enough, and they were really uh, played it safe because of the networks and studio agenda and the fear of alienating the, uh, the audience. So they, they really always underestimated their audience. I just, uh, for me... Um, I love complex, rich characters that have a lot of uh, conflict subtext because that's what each and every one of us deals with every day. We all deal with our dark side, our our issues, our flaws and imperfections, and sometimes we win, sometimes we lose, but that's the that's the drama of life. And I thought the new Battlestar went further into that those areas, so it allowed me to, to really explore who I am as a human being because... Uh, we all bring ourselves to each character we play. It's not just, uh, you know, some little uh, superficial um, uh, creation. We we actually have an emotional attachment to the characters we play. We feel what that character feels, and we experience through those eyes of that character uh, life. We see a different slice of our perspective on life, and uh, I, I really gained a whole perspective on on life from from Tom Zarek, realizing that, uh, you know. Good people are capable of doing bad things uh, under the right conditions. Everybody is capable of falling off the cliff. Everybody, like the proverbial uh, um, uh, story, uh, what is it, the prodigal son story, you know, we, we all are, are on a journey out there, and uh, sometimes we, we don't realize how easy it is to get lost uh, and to lose um, a sense of our, our uh, moral compass. You know, uh, in trying to sometimes do good things, we end up doing bad things. And, and we sometimes, uh, in this story especially, we saw how easy it was to violate the Constitution, to violate democracy, to basically violate human rights, mm-hmm. all in the quest to do the right thing and to help survive. And yet it really brings up a lot of powerful questions about, you know, what is democracy? And uh, does one person have the right to to say, I know the way, and not listen to everybody else, or have the uh, responsibility of building consensus. I mean, all these things got explored in the new show, you know, and uh, the original show was not as political, obviously, 
it dealt more, I think, with family, and then dealt more with the, uh, you know, the, the camaraderie and the sense of, uh, uh, you know, relationships between the pilots and the relationship between, uh, you know, well, especially with me and my father, and dealing with that relationship, which was for me, uh, my God, to have that kind of relationship. I, I didn't have it as a child, so getting Lauren Green to play my father was like like the, a dream come true for, for every young man, you know? Yeah. Now, uh, were you were you satisfied with Tom Zarek's fate? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Um, well, I mean, for me, I would have liked to have seen um, the, a deeper insight into Tom Zarek's uh, backstory and... Uh, and more context for why he was doing what he was doing. We never got too much insight into that, so people always surmise that he was just doing things for self-serving reasons. But if you really look at the show and step out of the box a little bit, it's pretty obvious that the guy was not making millions of dollars. He didn't live. He had two suits to his name. You know, he was fighting to make the government accountable, and he was fighting against a government that had the support of the people, and yet broke all the rules and uh, basically subjugated his his rightful place as vice president and also president they continued to step him down because they they thought they they didn't believe he should be president and who I mean it, it wasn't the people making that decision it was Rosalind and Adama so basically you know I uh, I I think I would have liked to have seen a little more of that discussion uh, explored because uh, I think uh, for me, Tom Zarek had to p- play the chess game. He had to be sly, and he had no recourse because uh, Adama cut him off at every turn, right. and Rosalind cut him off at every turn. They they basically forced him, for me in my mind's eye, to do the things that he had to do in order to have some kind of impact on the d- decisions. But every time he spoke up, everything that he was doing, you know, was either to survive or to make a difference and make that those governments wake up and realize that the decisions they needed to make were the tough, love, hard, cold decisions that very few leaders want to make because most people are not going to agree and they're not going to be popular decisions. Tom Zarek had paid the highest price, had spent 25 years in prison for his ideals, had saw all most of his friends and family die, this was a man that was not afraid of seeing what needed to be done and making that decision, but nobody wanted to listen. And I hate to say it, but uh, Ron Moore told the writers to put the truth. This is a real funny statement. This was told to me by uh, several of the writers on Battlestar. It was told to put the truth in Tom Zarek's mouth. What that meant was that when Tom Zarek spoke, he was speaking the truth whether you wanted to hear it or not. Right. Right. Well, awesome. Uh, on a on a lighter side, um, <laughs> 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 I mean, I mean, I'm in, don't get me wrong. I'm enjoying, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm hearing so far. But um, bring it back to classic Battlestar Galactica. Um, any funny stories you could tell while making the show? Was there anybody known to be a practical joker on the set? That sort of thing. Well, no, no, no stories that haven't been told about four thousand times. Right. Right. Uh, to tell you the truth, I mean. The, the 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 really I mean the story that Ann Lockhart tells about you know um, you know uh, not Baltar but um, uh, Count Ibley you know and and she she has that story about a couple of lines uh, it was a funny line I can't remember what the bit was but that you know every show has funny bits and funny moments that happen um, we we every single day. When you're doing a show as dark as the new Battlestar, you're you're looking to for as much humor as possible. I mean, when when I they broke out of the prison, and the guy was in the prison shaking the bars, the whole prison came down. Oh wow! Uh, it's funny they actually have that in the comedy reel. You know, he's shaking the bars, and all of a sudden the bars open, and it was like we're free, we're free, and everybody's <laughs> running out of the prison. You know, the uh, it, it's. Um, what anything and everything can go wrong on a set, but usually it turns into uh, to funny moments and uh, and everybody has a good time. It just helps everybody to relax and uh, and to let go a little bit, and it makes for better acting. Yeah, you, you don't you don't act well on, on a tense, rigid set. 
and Battlestar certainly had a lot of humor, a lot of fun fun people on it, and the cast and crew were very very fun, fun loving. I mean, you, if you see the comedy reels which I play at my conventions, they're really good. They're really funny. Look forward to seeing them. And you guys are probably putting in some, you know, you know, heavy hours in. So those. Things well, that- we work not really. I mean, to tell you the truth, because there's so many actors on the show, you come in and you wait, and a lot of times you're waiting for several hours to film a couple more scenes, and then you go home. And but there's, you know, you're you're not there all day long and all night except once a rare while. Right. Most people are coming in and out because, uh, you know, they're, uh, they're they're there's a lot of different actors doing scenes. Now. Uh- we talked about the ending of Tom Zarek. What about the end of the show? How did you feel about the way they wrapped up uh, Battlestar Galactica? Oh, I hate to even judge that because I think <laughs> everybody has strong feelings about that, and certainly I do. You know, listen, uh, Tom, I, I think Ron Moore has the right to write his own ending and, and do what he felt was right. I mean, I, I certainly, there's certain things I like, certain things that didn't make sense to me. You know, I, I mean, personally, I don't think I would have uh, sent the Cylons off the Cylon drones, the warriors, with all the technology and all the guns and weapons and ship to send them off to roam the universe, okay? I, I don't know if I would have done that, especially when you're throwing away all your technology. Right, right. You know, right. it's like saying, okay, we're going to throw everything away and we're, we're going to take these Cylons who have been programmed to kill, right. humans especially, um, who've been warring against us for a thousand years. We're going to just send them off with all their weapons, all their technology, and these are not the human Cylons, these are the drones. <laughs> right. These, these, these are the warriors. These, these are the, 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 you know, soldiers. I don't think I would have done that. And, plus, and the, only, the other thing that, that probably bothered me the most was they had everybody going off in different directions. Now, you're on a planet 10,000 years ago with creatures that will eat you. They've thrown away all their technology, and the whole family of man is separating, each to go find their homestead. Seems a little naive. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it seemed to me that when you come down on a planet like that, that, first of all, you haven't explored yet. You don't even know what's there. You, you, you've had technology for years. You, you don't know how to survive without it. And you've got wild animals and creatures and indigenous tribes. Why would everybody be separating? I, I, I wanted to see everybody pull together and create a community. Right. Well, it's a whole survival I mean, story, I wanted to see right? Ev- yeah, I wanted to see everybody together at the end, not <laughs> going their separate ways like... Huh, maybe I'll uh, I'll head off to uh to um you know, find my homestead on a hill in in uh in Ireland. You know. <laughs> I'm gonna go uh, uh it, it that didn't quite make sense to me, but uh I, I, I the thing that some bothered some people, I liked the thing with um uh Paulo and Starbuck. I thought that was a really interesting theme with her being an angel and not even knowing she was an angel. I thought that was a really great theme. I, I liked very much what they did with that. Um, you know, and again, I just would have, I would have preferred to see everybody, uh, pull together at the end. That was my biggest thing. And then I just, for some reason, I understood him wanting to make this big gesture of throwing all this technology away to somehow justify that if all the technology they had was there, then where would the world be a thousand, ten thousand years later? It wouldn't be where we are we would be much further ahead if they kept the technology you know mm-hmm. right right well, i think they were trying to justify that but i don't know if anybody would have thrown away all their technology i don't know it, uh, again i think it was it was it was challenging to kind of somehow try to make it all work you know but i think if you let go of the logic and you look at it metaphorically he was trying to give you an emotion a feeling and he accomplished that I think he was trying to create emotion and feeling, and and again, if you suspend logic, then you can enjoy it for what it is, and I was able to do that. But if I'm looking at it critically, you know, I could say these are the things that kind of um, didn't make sense to me, but again, I'm the first person to say there's many ways to do everything, many good ways, and one person loves it one way, another person hates it that way. Art is subjective, and so... It's not about being right. It's about, uh, you know, Ron Moore earned the right to have his ending and to do it the way he wanted to do it, and I honor that. Uh, now, any chance we're going to see you in the plan? Uh, no, I'm not in that. You aren't in the plan. I so. wish I was, but it's more <laughs> about the Cylon, the Cylon world. All right. Excellent. Yeah, hey, thanks so much for taking time out. Yeah, I appreciate it. No, no, really, I'm sorry that I have to go. I, I mean, I love getting into a discourse, and... Uh, 
I love doing these kinds of things. So we'll do it again. Yeah, maybe later on. Maybe we talk about the plan All after right. it comes out. So, all right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks for have a good day. You too. Nice talking to you. Nice right. talking to you. Bye. Bye. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Richard Hatch as we kind of wrap up our thoughts on Battlestar Galactica, the plan, and everything else. We're going to be talking about the plan in a few weeks from now after I've seen it. Miles, the lucky dog, has had Netflix send him uh, his DVD, but they're holding mine for now. Holding it for ransom or something, Miles. They're holding out on you, man. They are holding out on me, so we can't talk about it yet. But anyways, Richard Hatch from Battlestar Galactica. Hope you enjoyed the interview. We're going to do our wrap here. We're going to do something just a little bit different. Uh, this actually came from Alex Fenson from the New Forest podcast. He suggested we do something called the Sci-Fi Five, and we thought it was a good idea, so we're going to start out by doing the Sci-Fi Five here. And the concept behind this, Miles, is that if you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to send us an MP3 mentioning your five favorite sci-fi anything, really, it could be your top favorite sci-fi movies, top sci-fi books, top sci-fi TV shows, top sci-fi hairdos, ships, villains, whatever you want it to be, as long as it's kind of in the same theme, uh, we'll play them at the end of the show. We love to share what people view as being their top five. And we thought, just to kind of start us off, we would have Miles do his top sci-fi five. So, Miles, if you can tell us the category that's kind of framing it and then tell us your five, we would love to have you do that. Okay, top five uh, sci-fi shows that um, I am watching regularly right now. Uh, And it'll be the order of what I'm probably liking the most. And so, one being highest, five being lowest. um, Doesn't mean I... Hate the hate the show. Oh, that's number five on the list. Just I'm I'm probably liking the shows, on the, starting from number one just a little more. So uh, number five is Heroes. Uh, number four, Smallville. Three, Fringe. Two, Flash Forward, and one, uh, Stargate Universe. Ooh, well that's a good list. I could probably put that in my list if I was going to be uh, sharing it. I'd probably have Sanctuary somewhere in there. I've been watching that fairly regularly too. Well, great. Well, that, thank you for sharing your Sci-Fi Five. If you want to share your Sci-Fi Five, you can email us your MP3 file at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com. You could also call our listener line at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three, and that'll also get the file to us, and we'll play it on the air. So, sounds good. I guess you could also send it via Twitter if you want, and you can do that at the Sci-Fi at Sci-Fi Diner. And that's our Twitter handle. And that's, of course, twitter.com backslash sci-fi diner. So that's kind of cool. Absolutely. Uh, so please uh, go to iTunes. Go to um, our, our, our page on iTunes and uh, give us a review. Please give us a five-star review. Uh, those give us a little more visibility and maybe some more listeners and, and uh, in hopes of just uh, growing the family. And not to mention, if you do that and you copy us that review in the next two weeks, you get a chance at winning a Star Trek 11 DVD. So that's pretty cool. That's extremely cool. Well worth you leaving a review there. We, of course, it'll help us. And hey, you'll get some benefit out of it, of course. We didn't mention this on the show today, but we, of course, have MySciFiStore.com. That is our store of all sorts of things science fiction. You can go buy the Star Trek 11 DVD there, as well as the plan and many, many other DVDs, Legend of the Seeker, Oh, tons, tons, tons. And um, you can buy it. It helps us out. And you get a substantial discount anywhere from 20 to 40% off your DVDs when you order through us. So that's kind of cool. Miles, can you tell us uh, what your personal Twitter handle is? Uh, I am Son of War at Twitter. And they can also find you where else? Uh, I also have a Trek Space account. Absolutely. And uh, the place you can find me is... Uh, at Herzog on Twitter, which will obviously you can find me there. We also have a, our Sci-Fi Diner podcast fan page on Facebook, so you can join us there. If you haven't visited that, please, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can find it and and you know drop in, say hi, join our fans, be part of the discussion as we talk about all sorts of geeky sci-fi stuff. And we already gave your email or phone number, so I believe that's about it. Miles, we're ready to wrap up the show. All right. Well, on. Um 
Till then, uh, good night and good luck. And we will see you. a high school, actually a junior high librarian. I'm, I'm stoked.